0: Let's get started. We got a lot to cover here today. Um, around uh, nine years, I think, uh, before I was born, um, Roger Bannister. Anybody who knew Roger Bannister is raise your hand if you know who he is. Just Raise your hand. Yeah, one one person. Yeah, one person. Uh, he ran the mile in under four minutes. Under four minutes. Roger Bannister first one. No one had ever done this before. Um, Man had tried for years and years and years and years. uh, No one had ever done it. And it was thought actually that it was physically impossible for the human body at that time uh, to move fast enough to break four minutes in a mile. And they say some guys actually went as far as to drink tiger's blood to, to try and, and whatever. I don't know. I don't know what the theory was behind that. I guess tigers run fast, right? Um, but it wasn't until May 1954 that Roger Bannister pushed and pushed and pushed himself and finally broke the, the barrier. Now, to me, um, what's interesting is only two months Later, two months later, it happened again. And now the four-minute barrier has been broken by over 1,400 male athletes. Um, One man alone has broken it 136 times. Elite high school students have broken it. And the current record is now almost 17 seconds faster than four minutes. I think the record is three minutes, 43 seconds, point 0.13. Now, I, I love stories like this. I think it's cool how, you know, how a man pushes himself, uh, dedicates himself to do something that no one else has ever done, um, uh, ever thought was even possible And I love stories like that. I think they're very cool. But what really intrigues me about this is if it took so long for one person to do this, why was it just that two months later, two runners did it again? And then over and over again until now, when it's really uncommon if the last place runner in the Olympics doesn't finish under four minutes in a mile. Anybody else find that intriguing? You can say, amen, pastor. Oh, man, yeah. <laughs> the question is, that's intriguing to me, is why? Why all of a sudden, after Roger did it, did so many others begin to do it? The This was seemingly impossible until that time. What made the difference? And in one word, I say it's belief. Belief. Until then, no one believed that it could be done. And now we know, we know it's possible. We believe. The the message today will be a totally different style, uh, for me anyway, So please stay with me on this one because God has something to tell somebody here today. My title is God Knows Who You Really Are. God Knows Who You Really Are. We're in a series about an interesting man um, in the Bible by the name of Gideon. And this week is week five in our series. And next week we have the grand finale Uh, Pastor Dustin is gonna be speaking. But last week, we left off where the Midianite army of 135,000 warriors, 135,000 men are all camped down in the valley once again, ready to pounce on God's people. How many would say that you're God's people? Raise your hand in here today if you are. Ready to pounce on God's people once again. And Gideon, who seems to be gaining more and more faith as we go through this story Um, uh, as we go through this series. He goes out and rallies together 32,000, try it, rallies together 32,000 men to fight against the Midianites of 135,000 who have been oppressing Israel for over seven years now. And then God whittles them down after he goes and gets them and rallies them all together. He whittles them down from 32,000 to 10,000, then to three hundred. God wanted there to be no mistake. There will be no bragging on men's ability here. There's gonna be no bragging on their skills, no bragging on any man's part. Make no mistake, when they win this battle, it will only be because of their faith in God. And that's where we left off last week. So this week, let's pick right back up where we left off. Uh, We've got a lot to cover here, lots of scripture to read, so let's go. Judges chapter seven, starting with verse nine. I want to read it. Now, the same night, this is just after all of the fleecing and all of the you know dittling, whittling down of the, of the men. Now, that same night, it came about that the Lord said to him, arise, to Gideon, arise, go down against the camp. Go down and take the camp. Arise, go down and take the camp. For I have given it into your hands. We've been singing about it all morning. It's already done. God makes yet another promise to Gideon. You haven't lifted a finger and it's already done for you. Now watch what God says here. He knows how we think, we humans. He knows us even better than we do when we're faced with a challenge, challenged even to do the right thing we're still sometimes afraid, aren't we? So he helps us out, and check it out. We're gonna read on in verse 10. It says, but if you are afraid to go down, God says, (laughs) go with your servant down to the camp and you will hear what they say. And afterward, your hands will be strengthened that you may go down again against the camp and take them. So we went with he went with Pura, his servant, down to the outpost of the army that was in the camp. Verse 12, now the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the sons of the east were lying in the valley. They were sleeping. <clears throat> as numerous as locusts, in other words, as a ton of them. And their camels were without number, as numerous as the sands of the sea. Now, let me just try to give you a picture of this. This would be kind of like the number of people at last year's Super Bowl. Times two. Times two. And then probably as many camels, based upon what the scripture says. Now watch this. In verse 13, when Gideon came... Behold, a man was relating a dream to his friend and he said, behold, these are two enemies by the way, behold, I had a dream, a loaf of barley bread was tumbling into the camp of Midian and it came to the tent and struck it so that it fell and turned it upside down so that the tent lie flat. His friend replies, just like that. This is nothing less than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. God has given Midian and all of the camp into his hand. I I think that is so cool. What are the chances, right, of this happening? It's just how God works, isn't it? I want you to imagine something. God's been dealing with you. He's been talking to you, pushing you to do something for him. There's a ministry. There's, there, there's you know, how many saw the parking lot attendants out there today? There's a ministry here at the bridge. There's, there's you know, the guest services. There's the worship team. There's, you know, the Connection Center, the sound booth. There's all these, there's a ministry, maybe something we haven't even got started yet, but God's dealing with you about, it, and he's pushing you. And you walk into a stadium of people the twi- twice the size of the Super Bowl last year that the Rams lost, Against some Hoosiers. (laughs) And you just happen to walk down, like you just happen to pick the aisle and you walk down and you sit down right behind these two guys. And you think all of a sudden you hear your name. What? I think I just heard them say my name. Did somebody call my name? (laughs) Uh anyway. And so <laughs> you begin to hear all of a sudden this conversation and you're listening in sure enough they're talking about you. And one of them says they had this dream. And his friend interprets the dream and calls you by name and says that you do this thing that God's been pushing you towards, like, 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 like leading you towards. And all of a sudden it says, and he was totally successful with it. I mean, like, knocked it out of the park. Two guys you don't know from Adam. Now, wouldn't that give you some Faith some some motivation to press forward in that ministry. Yeah. I'll never forget. Uh, it's so cool how God does things just to kind of let you know that it's the thing. I think with uh, Devin, it was driving down the road and seeing after contemplating and being pushed and nudged towards North Carolina, a sign on the side of a truck. As he's thinking about God, what am I supposed to do? Boom. There's the sign. It said St. Louis this time. Yeah, it's all right. That's all right. If I'm the only one clapping here, that's all right. <laughs> oh, it's my boy. And my girl. And God um, one time was dealing with me about, he had already called me into the ministry and I was playing the back role, which is totally fine with me. and still is. God uh, was dealing with me about uh, pastoring. And um, around this time, Dustin was going through um, a very uh, rough time in his life. Both my boys have been... Fantastic. Um, and this particular time, uh, Dustin was going through something and nobody knew it. Nobody in my family knew it. I mean, nobody in anybody else knew it. Crystal, Devin, Tara, myself were the only ones that knew what was going on, knew the issues, the struggles that he was going through. And I, I, it tore me up. It tore uh, his mom and I up. And we were like, you know, God, we, we raised him you know, uh, to fear you. And, you know, we raised him in the church and, you know, we just couldn't understand what was going on in this. It was just, just kind of a, a, a rough time, really, not just for him, but for all of us in that, in that way. And, um, and so um, our pastor had called um, for another man to come speak at the church uh, an evangelist. It happened to be somebody that I'm very familiar with. He was a great friend of my father's, and um, but I hadn't seen him since probably, you know, I don't even know if we were married, uh, Crystal. But it was it was you know somewhere in that time, and he didn't even know we had kids or anything like that, and um, so we're we're at the church, and he's speaking just like I'm speaking to you, only way way better, and um, he he says something. Uh, like, um, and I was in the back kind of like where Sam is. And I, and he, he says, Steve, come down here. And Crystal was already down there on the front row. And I come down to sit next to him, next to her. And she, he says, he begins to prophesy over me. And he's saying, listen, he says, you're supposed to be leading people. You're supposed to be pastoring people. And now I know this guy is an Italian, very emotional, very, you know, outspoken guy. And um, when he began to start talking and prophesying over my life, I began to drift off in my mind. Thinking like many of us do, like Gideon did. Logically, look, that's so easy. (laughs) He knows my dad was a pastor, He knows my brother was a pastor. It's just easy. I mean, that's an easy call. And so he's going on and he finishes up what he's talking about me. And he immediately looks out over the crowd and he goes, and I'm in the front, like you, Jenny. He goes, son, with the scraggly, he said, who are you? This is right in the middle of church. And everybody goes, oh, that's Dustin. That's Steve's son. He goes, oh, son, come up here. If I'm lying, you guys correct me. Like stand up right now and correct me. I'm teasing. (laughs) He comes walking down and he sits right next to his mother and I. And George, this minister, begins to let the spirit of God flow through him. And he begins to tell Dustin, you're going through a rough time right now. I don't know if you realize this, but God knows when you're going through a rough time. And he's sitting there telling him, nobody else knew this. He says, you're going through a rough time right now, son. He says, now you can either continue to go down that rough path. You can continue to take the wrong road. Or you can be the man of God that you are and that God is calling you to be. You're a man of God and you can start doing that now or you can continue to go down this path. And I just was sobbing in tears because I knew that nobody else knew about that. And that he was speaking the the Holy Ghost, was speaking through George to tell me that he was going to be okay, and that that he was a man of God, and everything was going to work out. And I was all about Dustin. Why wouldn't I be? And then all of a sudden, it dawned on me: if he told him that, the Spirit of God was telling him about me being a pastor. Isn't that something, how God works? He knows when you're thinking, oh, no, 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 that's not it. That's not it. But he spoke to George, and through him let me know and confirmed that I was the pastor. Now, I want you to pay close attention. We're going to jump back into this story in verse 15. When Gideon heard the account of the dream... And it's interpretation. He hears these two guys that he doesn't know from Adam. Call him out. Listen to what he does. He bowed and worshipped. He bowed and he worshipped God. Now, I want to say something here. Until this point, Scripture doesn't mention anything about this kind of behavior from Gideon. That Gideon acknowledged God in this particular way. He bowed and worshipped. Now I want to pause here because I believe that this is a significant event in Gideon's life. Did you hear me? I think it was the turning point for Gideon. God spoke to me. I had no idea, I told the boys, I had no idea where I was going with the theme of this today. But God spoke to me this yesterday morning, and this is the word. I'm sharing with you what God spoke to me, all right? This is when Gideon, so important, finally, finally, believes. He finally believes. And this marks, I want you to pay close attention, this marks a change in Gideon's demeanor. You listen, you watch. In in his actions, it changes everything. And now, arriving on the scene of this series A new character comes into play, a new Gideon, a new man, a man that he didn't even know existed. What happened? What was the difference in a word? Belief. Belief. Let's read on to see what Gideon does now. Now, I want you to pay close attention to this. It says Gideon, it says, he he returned to the camp of Israel and said, this is no longer God saying this. This is Gideon. Gideon's going, arise, (laughs) arise. The Lord has given the camp of Midian into your hands. Gideon's now all of a sudden claiming it. He divided the 300 men into three companies and he put trumpets and empty pitchers in the hands of all of them with torches inside the pitchers. The reason for this is because these pitchers would close off the light and they could sneak up on the camp, all right? He said to them, now here's this is a totally different Gideon. He says, now look at me. Look at me, I'm leading this thing. You look at me and you do likewise. And behold, when I come to the outskirts of the camp, do as I do. When I, he says, and all who are with me, blow the trumpet, then you also blow the trumpets all around the camp and say, for the Lord and for Gideon. In verse 19, So Gideon and the hundred men who were with him came to the outskirts of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch that, as I understand, is around 10 p.m. to 12. And they were sleeping, but they had just changed security guards. And so the security guards that were out there had just fallen asleep, and the other ones were out on watch, the new ones. And they blew the trumpets and smashed the pitchers. And now all of a sudden, the light is showing. And and when the three companies blew the trumpets and broke the pitchers, they held the torches in their left hand and the trumpet, which was a a ram's horn, in their right hand for blowing and cried, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. (laughs) And then I want you to pay very close to verse 21 because then it goes into guerrilla warfare. They each stand. Pretty rough. Better watch out now. They just stand, the word of God says. I think that's funny. They just stand there. Check it out. Notice the difference in Gideon's behavior. He goes right up and he barks out these orders. Totally different. He goes right up and and, and he, he, you know, tells them all what to do. Get up. We're going down to their camp. God's given us the victory already. But if 450 to one odds weren't enough, check out the strategy. Did you hear any weapons in that dialogue? This is a different Gideon. The 300 men are no longer, listen to me, the 300 men are no longer hiding. I hope you catch that. They're not hiding anymore. Now they're all surrounding the enemy. They blow the ram's horn in their right hand and they bust the clay pitcher in the left and they're holding a torch with the flame and they holler out a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Now, look what happens here. Before we read, what happens? Have you ever um like just fallen asleep? And the kids wake you up or something, startle you. I'll never forget one time um Crystal when we were in, in the house in Florissant and the kids were still just young. Um that I um we both we all you know fell asleep, and uh, whenever you just go to sleep, and I don't know if this is everybody, but I've seen other people kind of react like this. Whenever you just go to sleep and you get startled, there's just like this adrenaline rush that hits you. And also, at the same exact time, you're like disoriented. Do you know what I'm talking about? I know when I wake Crystal up, she's like, "Uh what? When she's really tired. And I'll never forget, we were just had fallen asleep, all the family. And um, all of a sudden, we heard a noise, like a boom. You know, kind of thing. And all of a sudden, Crystal and I raise up in bed. And it's pitch dark. And we're like, what was that? And so I said, you stay here. I'll go check it out. I "I think that's what I did anyway. (laughs) It was either that or she went and checked it out. No, I'm teasing. (laughs) So I go get my little league... First time ever aluminum bat. John, <laughs> just like it was like about that big. And I could, you know, being my age now, I could you know, kind of twirl that thing and you know, I thought. So I go all throughout the house, kind of like looking behind every door. Because I can't go back to sleep if I'm not making sure every inch of that place there ain't nobody there. So I'm looking throughout the whole house and uh, I'm, I'm behind every door, and um, all of a sudden, I mean, nothing, nothing was there. And all of a sudden, I got thinking, garage. I bet it's in the garage. So we looked out, turned on the light, and I saw where something I knew had been had fallen. I'm like, oh, that was it. But I was stoked. Like, I was, thank God, in the middle of the night, none of my boys, while I would have cleaned their clock with that bat, back to Gideon. The 300 are just standing there now around the camp. And it says in the scripture that all of the army, listen to me, ran, crying out as they fled. Verse 22 says, when they blew 300 trumpets, Listen to what it says the Lord set the sword of one against even against another even throughout the whole army they got up freaked out confused couldn't see anything and they started ripping away their own army tearing away and killing their own army 120,000 of them <laughs> I don't know about you, but that's God. That's God. Let's give him a hand clap here today. Let's step back just a bit. You remember where we found Gideon in the very beginning, Pastor Dustin? In the man, they listen to you. <laughs> they're, they're, in the beginning of the series, he was hiding in a cave, in a wine press, my notes say, threshing wheat in a place where he shouldn't have been threshing wheat. That's not where you do that. But he was staying out of sight. Gideon had stepped away from God and now hiding like a coward so the enemy wouldn't take their food. I'm sorry. That's me. And God told me at the, in my study, he told me to share this with you today. Today. That this is where the Christian culture is today. In so many ways, we resemble Gideon at the beginning of our series, hiding like cowards. So the world, our coworkers, our neighbors, our classmates' schools starting this week, don't make life a little difficult on us, a little embarrassing for us. Hear me close, because this is what God's sharing with us today. Because we stand, because we stand for what we believe and we worship Jesus. Hiding in the shadows, under the radar, not making any waves, keeping our church life kind of on the lowdown, keeping our faith in God kind of a secret and really, quite frankly, kind of spineless in our faith. Man, don't tell your friend at work that you believe in God because they may not hang with you anymore. They may not worship or they may worship other gods. They may not even believe in Jesus. You you might offend them. So don't say anything. Don't say anything. It's just best just to keep your mouth shut about God. So we don't want to make any waves. We don't want to Come off as crazy, we don't want to be radical, not about Jesus anyway. Now, maybe if the Cardinals hit a home run, yeah, we're cool then. you know then then we can get a little radical, then we can celebrate, they win the game, man, dude, I'm the first one up on my out of my chair. I'm just going to be honest with you. Maybe if you get the promotion, you know that you've always wanted, then you can be radical, dude. Maybe if you, you know, get that client that you've been pushing on for the past three years and all of a sudden, oh, well, then I can get radical. Because really that's kind of acceptable, isn't it, in our culture? And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with celebrating those things. I caught Dustin in midair on the sixth game of that 2011 year. That was the best game in baseball, Cardinal history. And I caught him mid... I had no idea he was coming at me. <laughs> but to the bridge church, I say, let's not become weak Need When it comes to announcing our faith in God, when it comes to celebrating what God has done for you and for your family, come on. Yeah, that's right. Hey, I'll catch you. Yeah, that's right. You see, if you, if your belief, it's your belief, it's your faith in Jesus that gives you hope. Our culture today puts all of their hope in themselves in their abilities. I want you to hear me very close in, in, in their career, in their relationships with other, their loved ones or whatever, uh, in their money, in, 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 in others. And, and when all that's gone, when there's no more job and, and your ability has been taken away, God forbid, you run out of money or your friends or your loved ones. And all those things that you've been clinging to, the things that once gave you hope are gone. Listen to me. I want you to realize today before you go any further in your life, all these things will fail you and in the end you end up in the same hmm, in the same place every single time. Living in fear. Living in fear. Just like Gideon and God's people in our series today. But listen to me, Gideon finally gets it. I've been putting my hope, he says, in me. I've been putting all my hope in my ability and my ability to hide from the enemy in my ability to take small portions and and feed my family or or, or in my ability to put an army of 32,000 people together. What changed for Gideon? he realized through this journey with God and and we've all watched Gideon's faith continue to grow in this series that, that where he had his hope would fail him in the end that God was the difference maker that faith in God was where his hope would be now it was faith in God that would save him Did you hear me? It's faith in God that would save him. It's faith in God that will save him. And he now believed it. He finally, truly believed it. That believing in God made all the difference in the world. There are people here today, under the sound of my voice, God's people, that throughout your life, every time you find your back up against the wall, in trouble spiritually, in trouble financially, in trouble with your health, in trouble with your relationships, you have always run and hid behind your abilities, And somehow, by the grace of God, you've eked by. Hear me. You've eked by. You've somehow have gotten through it. You said this to get out of it. You said that to get out of it. But this time, God's pushing you to do things his way. To put your hope and trust in him and in his way. To finally, hear me, to finally and completely believe in him for yourself. And with your back up against the wall, with all that belief, you know, like we've been singing, that the victory is yours because of your faith in him. Today is your day hear me today. Today is your day. Someone really needs to hear this. I don't know who, but you do because God's talking to you right now. Shall we all bow our heads, close our eyes? God is talking to you right now. You know exactly who I'm talking to, who God's talking to you. And in this situation that you're in with your back up against the wall, you're going to find out Are you going to run and hide? Or are you going to stand? Are you going to stand and believe and watch the Lord, the Lord fight your battle? I had a buddy of mine Growing up, he given everything that he had in him, Jen, to follow after alcohol and drugs and all that kind of stuff. Some of you in here know a little bit about what that's like. And I'll, I'll never forget this. Um... As long as I have my, my right mind, I can see the place. I can see his actions as God totally changed his life. And I'm going to tell you something. He didn't just sit there. God moved on him. And there was no doubt that God had changed his life. And from that moment on, I'm telling you, you talk about a change. Oh my goodness. He's led um, all kinds of areas, titles, had all kinds of titles within the organization that he's in from a church perspective and led all kinds of youth and just you know completely given his life to God God changed his life immediately I could tell man he believed I'll never forget my dad I was seven years old and my dad's aspirations were to grow the largest construction company in St. Louis. And at the age of seven, he was 37. We walked into church. (laughs) God has a way of just totally changing your passions, doesn't he? My dad completely turned it all around and, and he used the Construction company to fuel his passion to help people to help the church to help others for God ended up going on and pastoring in Chicago still working here and every weekend John he would get in the car he and mom and drive four and a half hours there pastor Sunday morning or Sunday night they had church three times on the weekend and Sunday night usually around Monday morning around I don't know six o'clock in the morning they come rolling in ready for work now is there any doubt there isn't in my mind that there was something that happened that all of a sudden they believed I mean, it was a, a total change. I didn't even know what church was. Boy, I did after that. Without reading it, let me just share because we're running out of time, the rest of the new Gideon, new Gideon story quickly. Instead of Gideon hiding in caves, the Midianites are on the run and Gideon's chasing them down. He sends orders to, no doubt some of the people that had previously left him, that he had gathered, that they had left him out of fear. But he he ordered them to jump back into things because now the army is on the run. Ordered them to stop them and kill them. Gideon summons his brothers from Ephraim who were never invited into the war to now head off the fleeing enemy at the Jordan River. And they did, and brought back the heads of the two leaders. And there were, they were very upset at Gideon for not asking them to be in there from the beginning. But the new Gideon, with his faith in God, spoke to them like a leader. And he told them they had done more than he had. they they had killed these two leaders and and brought them back and and he was very grateful for their help. Gideon, while chasing down two different kings of Midian came to two different towns, people of Israel, family asking them for bread and for water to feed his army so that they could catch up to these two kings and the men that were protecting him, 15,000 of them and they refused give Gideon help and his army. And the new Gideon, listen to me, this is the new Gideon. He warns him. He says, look, when I catch up to these kings and we kill these people, I'm coming back through this town. I'll take care of you guys. And that's exactly what he did. The new Gideon comes back and he takes care of everyone in the town. He goes, well, actually, he doesn't do that. He goes after the leaders and he kills them. They finally arrive back home. Gideon, the new Gideon, the warrior. And he wants these two kings. Listen, this is the new guy. To die in shame instead of a warrior killing them Gideon tells his son to kill him so instead of being killed these two kings being killed with honor a child was going to take their life and Gideon's son was young and afraid and couldn't do it and the two kings taunted Gideon saying be a man and kill us yourself and Gideon couldn't resist takes care of business. Is this the Gideon that we spoke about in the early part of this series? Remember, while, while Gideon is cowering in fear, listen, if you remember what Pastor Dustin said, what did the angel of the Lord call him? A mighty warrior, a mighty man of valor. And Gideon's like, you, you you got the wrong dude. You're so wrong. That's not me. What changed? God proves. To Gideon over and over through unbelievable sign after sign, fire shooting out of a staff that consume the offering, reduces his army by 300, fleeces wet, is dry. Uh, God tells Gideon, you won't die. He said, I-, I will deliver the Midianites into your hands. The victory is yours, but sneak near the camp if you're still afraid and hear what they're saying for yourself. And he hears the dream and he hears the interpretation and something snapped